Hallelujah. Matthew 7, that'll be our starting point today. Uh, Take a look at verse 13 as we get started. The words of Jesus and what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And uh, what I'd like to use as a title for our message today is swimming upstream. Swimming upstream. And you know, the Christian life is a life of swimming upstream from the very get-go. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, just the other day, and uh, uh, you, you know, the, the internet, uh, uh, with, with all the, the things about it that aren't so good, there's benefits to it. I could actually just plug in fish swimming upstream and watch a video of salmon or trout going upstream. And, and it's interesting to watch because... The stream is going down. Obviously, you know, water just doesn't go up. If it's going to go somewhere, it's going to go down. But the fish are going up. And and so here you can watch these fish that are absolutely uh, having everything come at them and come at them real super fast. But they're going the opposite direction of the way everything's coming at them. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I believe that there is a message in that for us today. As a matter of fact, Jesus here talked about uh, the narrow gate and the need to enter in at the narrow gate because that's the way which leads to life. Um, The word narrow to me implies fewer options. Is there anybody who knows what I'm talking about? For for instance, when you're walking on the narrow way um, and somebody offends you, you, you don't have the option to, uh, uh, to, to go ahead and give them a, a piece of your mind or the option to want to uh, give them the, the five-fold ministry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you don't have that option. The, your only option is to walk in love. So, so you know, as you want to do things right, live a life that's right before the Lord, your options get fewer. Some of the things that you might have used to do or ways you used to react or, you, you know, that part of you where you say, oh, no, he didn't, you know, you know that side of you. you, you there, there are certain reactions and certain things that, that are no longer options because now that you're on the narrow way, you, you have fewer options. Your options are now this. I'm going to do what's right. That's the only option. I want to follow the Lord. That's the only option. And you know, uh, as we're swimming upstream, uh, one other interesting thing I took note of, and you know, uh, we, the big kids, the children of the Lord, talk to the Lord just like our kids would talk to us, you know? I mean, when, when you're going somewhere and you know the Lord's taking you somewhere in your life, but it's taking longer than you want it to take, you'd say, Lord, are we there yet? And of course, you know, another thing that we'd say to the Lord is, but Lord, everybody else is doing it. Any parents say amen in the house? Come on now. Yeah, everybody else might be doing it. But uh, what way are you on? Are you on the broad way that leads to destruction? Yeah, everybody's doing everything over there. But look at the end. Look at how it ends up. 
So we don't want to do that. We want to go ahead and uh, get on the way. There might have fewer options, but we know that the ending of that way is a happy ending. Amen. Amen. You know, it's interesting. Um, over in First uh, Samuel 8, uh, we, we see this, that uh, uh, the, the people of Israel came to Samuel, who's the, the, the prophet at that time, and said, hey, you're getting old and your sons aren't even walking in your ways. Uh, why don't you make us a king to judge us like all the other nations? And uh, Samuel went and gave them all kind of good reasons why that wasn't such a good idea. And then you get down to verse 19 of the 8th chapter of 1 Samuel. And it says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. And I want you to know today that our goal is not to be like everybody else. Our goal is not to... uh, uh, to try to go ahead and blend in with what everybody else is doing or, 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 or keep up with the Joneses or any other family. As a matter of fact, Scripture says, you can write this reference down, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. It doesn't say go into them and blend in. It says come out from among them and be separate. That's what God's saying in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I'll receive you and I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, interesting thing, we we see God saying, do not touch what is unclean. And uh, as I considered that, I was a little bit baffled because uh, uh, I, I asked myself this question. I said, why is it that so many are concerned with what their physical hands are touching? To, to the point that you've got these pocket hand sanitizers that you can take with you, fit in your pocket, take in your purse. <laughs> and, and yet some of the same, same people that are walking around with hand sanitizer all the time have no concern whatsoever about what their spirits are coming into contact with. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, here we go. It made, me, it made me wonder. It's like, man, th- these people are more concerned about E. coli than Diablo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> more concerned about what's on the, the sink or the kitchen counter or, or on the, the, the trash lid when you lift up the trash. And so they're keeping their hands real clean. They don't want to get E. coli. <laughs> and, and, and yet what they're allowing their spirits to be exposed to just makes you scratch your head. I mean, they'll go ahead and sit in front of the TV for hours. I mean, and just view what what to the uh, to the spirit is absolute contamination, biohazard stuff. I mean, poison. But they're still walking around with their hand sanitizer. And there ain't nothing wrong with the hand sanitizer stuff. The problem is the priorities of people, we should be more concerned with what's affecting our spirit more so than what's affecting our body. Why don't you go to John chapter 15? My goodness. Yeah. Don't be egging me on now because I, 
Y'all do that? No telling what's going to happen today. John 15. Praise the Lord. John 15. I want to take a look at some things that Jesus said here. Swimming upstream. Come on, somebody. Go with me. Look at verse 18 of John 15. Jesus said this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You don't need any commentary on that. You don't need any explanation. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Go to John 17, just a few chapters over. Some more words of Jesus. John 17. This is a beautiful chapter. This is called uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus prayed not just for those that were with him, but those who would follow after, who would believe on their words. So long before we were ever born, Jesus was praying for us here in John chapter 17. And guess what? He still is because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Hallelujah. (laughs) All right. John 17. Look at verse 13. It says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, um, an interesting thing that, that you will find joy as a believer. Jesus is talking about having my joy fulfilled in you. Praying for them that, that my joy would be fulfilled in themselves. Now, how do you get Jesus kind of joy? Well, as I see here, you got to do two things. You got to be willing to receive the Lord's word. And you also got to be willing to receive the world's hatred. You say, well, that doesn't sound like something I'd be joyful about. Well, Jesus seemed to think otherwise. (laughs) And verse 17 there that we read, it says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Uh, The word sanctified means set apart. So, So we're actually set apart by his truth. Set apart by his word. So... Bottom line, just don't expect the world to like you. Jesus has already given you advance warning that they're not going to do it. So don't be surprised. Don't be disappointed. You were told a long time ago, 2,000 years ago in advance. Look at it this way. You've had 2,000 years advance warning. So if they're not going to like me, then I guess I might as well enjoy being different. 
You know, Numbers chapter 14, uh, it talks about, uh, well, 13 and 14, there, there's the, the issue of the 12 spies that went in to spy out the promised land. And, and, and the difference between the reports that 10 of them came back with and, and the, the difference that the, uh, between that report and the report that the other two came back with, those other two guys are the, the only ones of the spies that are named, that being Joshua and Caleb. And what the scripture says about Caleb in Numbers 14, verse 24, what, what God himself said about Caleb, he said, my servant Caleb has a different spirit in him. Somebody say different. And has followed me fully. Someone say fully. fully. So, so one thing that's going to make you different, I can guarantee you. You may not be so different if you kind of go halfway with the Lord. You know, if you say, well, Lord, I'll let you have this, 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 and this. But this stuff here, uh-uh. You know, so, so if, you, if you're kind of dabbling with the Lord a little bit, uh, you know, that's not going to make you so different. But when you follow the Lord fully, that means when the Lord affects your spirit, affects your soul, affects your body, affects what your eyes look at, what your ears listen to, what your hands touch, where your feet walk. Uh-huh. When the Lord affects your view of things. You know, I love my wife's story of when she first got saved and, and riding in the car, driving down the street, the Lord spoke to her. And talked about what we would consider a, a hot button political issue, but really it's just a matter of right and wrong. And the Lord said to her, you don't think that way anymore. And she said, okay, yes, sir. <laughs> because when you follow the Lord fully, you let him mess with everything. Ain't nothing off limits. It's all on the table. Anything you want to touch, you can touch. Anything you want to mess with, you can mess with because I'm following you fully. And when you follow the Lord fully, oh yes, just like Caleb, so will it be with you. You'll be different. But different ain't all that bad. As a matter of fact, different is real fun. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You know, uh, two two interesting verses. uh, You can write them down. Titus 2.14. Uh, Paul said that, uh, that the Lord was purifying for himself his own special people. Someone say, I'm special. First Peter 2, 9, uh, another reference. The first one is Titus 2, 14. The second one is First Peter 2, 9. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now that's the new King James Bible. The, the, the original King James uses the word peculiar and of course when we hear that word we we usually think strange or weird but that's not necessarily the case one of the definitions of peculiar is also to be distinctive in nature or character from others there's something distinctive about you not something that stinks something that's distinctive about you about your nature and your character well, what that might that be? Well, we found out in the scripture over in Second Peter chapter 1 that we're partakers of the divine nature, which means when you're a partaker of the divine nature and his nature it has now become your nature, that's going to make you very distinct and different. Hallelujah. 
Now, what does the Bible say about the world? I mean, it, it says a lot. We, we read what Jesus said about the world. But uh, the, the, there are some other interesting things. I mean, I, I, I think uh, uh, not all of you, but many of you are familiar with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that calls Satan the God of this world. Or uh, uh, as the New King James puts it, the, the God of this age. And, and what's he doing? The, the God of this age is blinding people's minds. We're talking about swimming upstream. So here you are as a believer, you can see. Those who are not believers cannot see because they are blinded by the God of this world. That's one thing we need to keep in mind as we go along our journey. Because you as a seeing person have a whole lot of blind people trying to tell you what to do. You got blind people trying to give you directions. Oh, Lord, help me. But the reality of the scripture, people who are unbelievers are blind. They are blinded by the God of this world or the God of this age. So you're not going to be asking directions from a blind person. You're the ones who can see. Come on now. And as somebody who can see, You need to have confidence in what you see and know that it's right. Know that it's clear and plain. The the word of God is clear and plain. There ain't nothing mysterious about it. Or do we understand everything that's in the word? No. But do you understand what you need to know to live your life? Absolutely yes. So we got blind people all over the place that are insisting that things are a certain way. But they can't see. I mean, you, you know what? For too long, we've been, we've been listening to people who stand on their head and tell us we're, uh, we're upside down. You know what I'm saying? My Lord, my Lord. You know, Ephesians 2, 2 talks about the way we used to walk, that we used to walk according to the course of this world. You know, the amplified translation of that says you are following the course and fashion of this world. And that you are under the sway of the tendency of this present age. Imagine following the fashion of this world. Now, 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 now there, there used to be ministers and there, there still are ministers around that preach against anything that's flash, fashionable, you know. That, that if it looks nice or got any kind of bling bling, it must be from the devil. Well, we ain't going there. Because we, we like y'all to look nice. As a matter of fact, uh, I, li- I like bright colors. Can you tell? <laughs> bright is right. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I like bling. And so does God. God walks on gold. Come on now. <laughs> so even gold isn't blingy enough for the Lord. Huh? <laughs> but, but the bottom line is this. That fashion that does not lead to compromise is one thing, but when something is fashionable, that means compromise of the standard of the Lord and the standard of righteousness, then that's one element of fashion that we ain't going on. It might be fashionable to show off your midriff. 
But I'll just tell you something. You, you, you know, if my little girl ever had that idea, you know what I'm going to tell her? I'm going to tell her, baby girl, go back in the house and get dressed. Thank you very much. There, there, you know, there, there's things that are fashionable, things that are in, that as far as God is concerned, just ain't right. That cross the line with him. So God's not against fashion, but God's certainly against fashion that crosses the line of right and wrong. And also it talks about the tendency of the present age. You know, the, the, the tendency. And, and, and you know, the, there's some tendencies of this present age we're living in. Are you hearing me? You know, so some tendencies to say, well, I don't do it personally, but what people do is their own business. And what they do don't bother me. You see that as a tendency of the, the age we're living in. So uh, th- that tendency is, is something that, that is, is not just infiltrating the world, but there's an attempt to infiltrate the church as well. And that's why we need to be constantly aware of the fact that we are swimming upstream and there's a whole bunch of stuff that is continually, constantly flowing the other direction uh, uh, against us. And we just need to take a stand and keep our eyes fixed and know where we're going and we got to keep on going that direction and not let all the, 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 the water that's going by, all the fish going the other direction, uh, uh, anything else going the other direction cause us to be down. Diverted from the direction that we are going. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, um, Pastor John has taught wonderfully on the subject of renewing the mind. And uh, Romans 12, 2, right in the beginning, what's it say? It says, do not be conformed to this world. As a matter of fact, James, in his definition of what pure and undefiled religion is before God... He, he says this, that, that his, his definition of that is to, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That means you're living in the world without the world getting on you. Because you're living here not as a resident of this world system, but as a citizen of a different kingdom. Come on, somebody. Peter used the term in Second uh, Peter 1, 4. He talked about escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's not talking about this world and the ways of this world as being something that you buddy up with and hang out with. No, he's talking about you escaping it. Now, when you think escaping something, I mean, you're thinking escaping a, a burning building or, or, you know, or, or something like that. We, we, we have not looked at this world system in quite that way, but we need to because that's the way that the world sees it. That, that we are looking to escape the corruption that's in the world. We're looking to go through this world and affect people with what we've got, but not allow ourselves to be affected or infected. We see that. And even stronger language is used by James in the, the fourth chapter of his book, James 4 and verse 4. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, 
Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And he said that whoever therefore wants to be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. So, so God, as far as he sees things and the way he sees things is right. If you see it one way and he sees it another way, I, we already know. You wrong and he's right. So, so if God sees this a certain way and we want to be right, we need to see this the same way he sees it. Now, we know that we're not fighting flesh and blood. The scripture makes that clear in Ephesians 6. That we are, we're, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But against principalities, powers, might, dominion. Uh, uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. So, it's a spiritual battle that we've got. And not a battle against people. So, the people that are in the world aren't. Who our battle's against. Our battle is against the spiritual wickedness, the, the evil spirits that have an influence on the people of this world. You, you got to realize this. They don't know any better because they're blind. They, they, they think that they know where they're going. It's, it's kind of like, you know... Uh, it's kind of like if I said, hey, everybody, come on, follow me. I know the way. And here I am about to walk off the stage. You're going to follow that person? No, not if you can see. But if you're blind, you'll just assume, well, I guess they know where they're going. Go right along and fall off the stage. That's why our vision is so important. That's why to be in a place we're, we're having the, 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 the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Because you seeing is so important because that's one of the clearest delineations between the people in one kingdom or the other kingdom. One kingdom, that being the kingdom of this world where the God of this world reigns. The God of this world has blinded those minds. To keep the light of the glorious gospel from shining through. But in the kingdom of light, we see, we have vision. And therefore, who's going to set the standard? The person who don't see where they're going or the person who can see clearly? Come on, somebody. Go with me to 1 Peter 4. Hallelujah. First Peter four. Mm-hmm. I like this. First Peter chapter four and verse one. It says this in verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties. And abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them 
in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. First of all, it's interesting that the the New King James here uh, would use the word flood, especially in our context since we're talking about swimming upstream. So so, uh, they think it's strange that you're not going with the, the, the flood the other direction. They think it's strange that, that you have now done a U-turn and you're going upstream instead of downstream the way you used to. They think that's strange and they speak evil of you. They don't speak well of you about that. They speak evil of you about that. I, I mean, th- think about this. You know, somebody said, yeah, yeah, here it is, Cinco de Mayo. And you're acting all holy and you're in church and, and, and behaving yourself. But we know what it's really all about. Last year, I was with you on Cinco de Mayo last year. I knew what you were doing then. You needed your own lime tree for all the limes you were putting in your Coronas. Come on, somebody. And so, so, so they're, they're talking to you saying, what, what's up with this new direction you're going? They're, they're, they're speaking evil of you. They're thinking it's strange that you're not going with the flood of dissipation that they're still going in. You're going a different direction now. So I want to talk about several things here in relation to uh, swimming upstream as we've laid this foundation. And then the first thing I want you to, 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 to get here is the need for a decision to swim upstream. And that decision is based on us having an eternal perspective of things rather than just a temporary short-term perspective of things. Why don't you go to Hebrews 11? You're in 1 Peter, just go back a few books and you'll be in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, there's something I want you to see here. The decision to swim upstream, it is a decision and it's one that, that has to be based on the proper perspective. And what we want to see here is that this perspective is not one of short-term thrill or short-term pleasure, but on eternity. You got to understand this life is real little. And eternity is real big. And to say eternity is real big is still a real big understatement about how big it is because eternity never ends. So here we are making decisions based on this little, little tiny segment called life. Thinking, well, at least I'm comfortable right now. But wait a minute. The life to come, known as eternity. Oh, I want to be ready for that one. That would last a whole lot longer. And the great thing about godliness is that if you go God's way, this is God's promise to you, that godliness has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. That means the Lord says you can enjoy your ride here and enjoy it there too. Hallelujah. You know, I'll never forget one time I was walking with Pastor Sam, our founding pastor, uh, through uh, one, one of the malls. I don't know if it was the Warwick Mall, the Rhode Island Mall. And uh, uh, one, uh, we were g- going by one of the, uh, the men's cologne counters. And, and, and the, uh, the, the lady had asked him 
if, if he wanted to uh, uh, smell a sample of eternity. How many of you remember eternity? I loved his response. His, his response was, no, no, thank you, but, but I already got my reservations in the non-smoking section. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Hebrews 11, look at verse 24. It says this, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Someone say swimming upstream. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, several things I want you to see about having an, an eternal perspective. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The, the original King James Bible talks about than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And uh, w- one thing, and I happened to mention this to our school of ministry class this past Thursday night, that, uh, uh, you know, one way or the other, you're going to go, you're going to have some pleasure. You can go this, this way uh, and enjoy the, the passing pleasures of sin or the pleasures of sin for a season. But I also want you to know that the book of Psalms says that, that in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You're just going to make your decision where you're going to have your pleasure that just lasts a little while and then comes to a very drastic end. Or whether you're going to choose the kind of pleasures that last forevermore. For me, that is a no-brainer. Come on, somebody. I know which one I'm going to pick. And it also says he looked to the reward. Why could he swim upstream? Because sometimes swimming upstream, you, you've got some days that, that are, are tough. You've got some days that are challenging. So why do you keep on swimming upstream? Because you're looking to a reward that you're going to get when you get there. Amen. To the ultimate up. <laughs> and, and, and what else do we see here? We see this, that Moses, in the end of verse 27, he said he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You can swim upstream as a believer when you have an awareness of invisible things. The reality of invisible things. That just because you can't see it right now, just because you can't feel it and taste it right now, doesn't mean it's not real. When you have an aware of the reality of the invisible. The reality of the realm of the spirit. That's making a decision to swim upstream that is based on an eternal perspective. Uh, one thing you can write down, 1 John two fifteen to 17. That's where the apostle John wrote these words. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And then he wraps up his statement in verse 17 by saying that the, the, the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. Somebody say passing away. passing away. 
But he who does the will of God abides forever. So let me ask you the question. Do you want to be part of something that is fading fast? Or do you want to be part of something that's going to last forever? If you embrace this world, that's fading fast. But if you embrace doing the will of God, you will abide forever. So what other factors are related to this decision to swim upstream? Well, one one thing is this. Is that you make a decision to swim upstream when you are dissatisfied with mediocrity. Mm. Because otherwise you'll just stay where you are. And, and, And the thing is, you think you're being neutral, but when you're being neutral, you're being swept the wrong way with the stream. You think, well, I don't want to choose one or the other. I want to remain neutral. There ain't no neutrality here. Pardon my ain't, but there ain't no neutrality. Dissatisfaction with mediocrity will cause you to swim upstream. Now listen to this. Another factor related to making this decision to swim upstream is that we must maintain a desire to hold up the righteous standard even when unpopular. The world calls us intolerant for having a fixed standard instead of a flexible one. However, God's standards do not change with the times. Now that is so good, I'm going to say it to you again. We must maintain a desire to hold up the righteous standard. Even when unpopular, the world calls us intolerant for having a fixed standard instead of a flexible one. But let me ask you this. Once you start moving the line, where does the moving of the line stop? However, God's standards do not change with the times. Someone say amen. Amen. Well, we talked about the decision. Let's look at the demeanor of somebody swimming upstream. The demeanor. What's that mean? That that means their conduct, their behavior. One aspect of the demeanor of somebody swimming upstream is they're fearless. Which, as far as I'm concerned, that does not mean the absence of fear. But that means you run the red lights of fear. Now, here's the thing. When the Lord gives you a red light or a stop sign, you stop. But when fear tries to grip you and give you a stop sign or a red light and say, well, you've come this far and you can go no further. How many of you fear has ever tried to do that to you? Well, here's my advice. Pedal to the metal right through that red light, right through that stop sign because fear is of the devil and the devil's a liar. He's trying to stop you and hold you back from going to where God wants to take you. So something about the demeanor of somebody swimming upstream, they are fearless. Not that they're not tempted to fear, not that fear may even be present sometimes, but they ignore it. And as Joyce Meyer used to say and probably still does, do it afraid. Fear is not going to keep me from doing what I need to do. I just do it afraid. But, but if fear puts up, uh, you know, if the fear police are doing this, I'm going to run that man over. We're going through. 
I, I, I'm going to bust right through that, that fear stop sign, that fear red light. Fear is not going to have an impact on me and on what I do because I'm swimming upstream for the Lord. Come on, somebody. Now, you see that in Acts chapter 5. With, with Peter and the disciples who were strictly commanded by the religious leaders not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And what did they say in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29? They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Come on now. Now you obey man as long as you can. And as long as obeying man does not mean disobeying God. You can't obey man. But when man is requiring something of you that would be disobedience to God, then you have to pick, make the right choice. You know, I'm reminded of Esther, who uh, uh, her, her people, the Jewish people, there was an attempt by a man named Haman, who was really a right-hand man to the king at the time, to, to wipe out the Jewish people. And it just so happened that, that the girl who became queen was a Jew herself. But there was a law of the land that if you're going to approach the king, even for the queen, even for the, the king's wife, to approach him, you could not approach uninvited. And if you did, you were risking your own neck. But if the king raised the scepter to you, then you could go ahead and come in. So she knew that she needed to talk to the king about this plot that was going on and let it be known to save her people. But she knew that if she went uninvited, there could be some dire consequences. But I love the words that Esther spoke. Let me give you the reference of this so you can write it down. It's Esther 4, 15 to 16. And she said, I'm going to go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Something about that fearlessness. They said, yeah, fear is putting up a stop sign or a red light here, but I'm going to go ahead and blow through because there's something here at stake that, 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 that has a bigger impact than me being scared to do something. This is an issue of right and wrong. This is an issue of people being saved. And guess what? That second, uh, a second in command to the king named Haman who had uh, come up with this plan. <laughs> yeah. He, he had some gallows that he's going to use for, for Esther's uh, uh, uncle or, or cousin, uh, Mordecai. But the the gallows that he had planned for somebody else ended up getting used on him. Come on now. Now, what else about the demeanor of somebody swimming upstream? Well, let me tell you this. They don't care about popularity. Do not care about popularity. As a matter of fact, the the scripture says about Noah, it it defines him in, uh, I, I believe in Hebrews 11, as a preacher of righteousness. That, that might be Hebrews or First Peter, I don't remember. But I, uh, I, I know that Noah was called in the New Testament a preacher of righteousness. So imagine this man building his boat for 120 years, 
preaching righteousness and had zero converts to show for it. He started off with him, his wife, his three sons and their wives. And when it was time to get into the boat, it was him, his wife, his three sons and their wives. Wasn't popular. But I, gotta, I guarantee you this. On the day when the door of the ark was shut by God and it was raining cats, dogs, horses and cows and, uh, and everything else outside. Noah was the most popular guy on planet earth. <laughs> Noah was the subject of every conversation going on as people getting their mouths filled with water from the torrential rain. Said, Noah was right. Why didn't I listen to him? So he wasn't popular for 120 years. But believe me, he was popular on that day. Interesting thing, you know, the prophet Jeremiah, God told him in chapter 7, verse 27, he said, therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. God said, all right, you, I've called you to be a prophet, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to go ahead and you're going to preach your message. You're going to prophesy and deliver my word, but ain't nobody going to listen to you, but you still got to go tell them. And he did. Because the the goal of swimming upstream is not to be popular. The goal of swimming upstream is to be popular there. I want to be popular there. I want to be be on the end there. If I'm not on the end here, that's all right. I want to be on the end with him. Think about the words of Paul. When he said that I am very gladly, uh, uh, I'm willing to to very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Even though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. What a strong statement. Second Corinthians 12, 15. Talk about swimming upstream. He said, I'm glad to, to spend and to be spent for you, for your souls. Even though the more I put into this, the less I seem to be getting out of it. But he had an eternal perspective. And we also know this, that the demeanor of somebody who's swimming upstream is that they're full of faith. You can see that. We talked about Joshua and Caleb earlier. You see that about Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 13 and 14. Men who were full of faith because they believed that they could do what God told them that they could do. You see that aspect of swimming upstream in, in, in the life of the lady that we know as the woman with the issue of blood who was swimming upstream through a crowd of robes, even though she shouldn't have been out there because she had an unclean condition, but she was still swimming through the crowd so she could touch the hem of the garment of Jesus. And what were the words that Jesus ultimately said to her? Daughter, your faith has made you whole. So one of the parts of the demeanor of someone swimming upstream is that they are full of faith. Now let's talk about this, the destination of of someone swimming upstream. What is the destination of this person swimming upstream? Well, first of all, their destination is up. That's pretty obvious. I mean, yeah, there's the ultimate up when you get to the other side, but there's a whole lot of ups you get to experience in this life too. Like going from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Come on, somebody. You know, I remember there was, there was an old preacher uh, and he made, made this statement. He said, crime's going up, inflation's going up. And then he said, but I'm going up. 
And I'll tell you what, when we can have the mentality that even though there's other things that seem to be increasing around us that, that are affecting this world in a negative way, that we can be mindful that, hey, wait a minute, I'm going up. Not just up ultimately to meet the Lord, but I'm being raised up in this life. I'm increasing in this life. I'm going on to everything God's got for me. Not just in the life to come, but in this one right here too. Our calling is an upward calling. We're talking about the destination. It's an upward calling. Paul said, Philippians 3.14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that up is a place where things are revealed. Up is a place where things are revealed. I, I, I love the, the, what, what happened to, to John in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. Where you heard the voice said, come on up here and I will show you things which must take place shortly. Come on up here and I will show you things. Yeah. Because when you, when, when you get to this destination that the Lord is calling you to, as you're swimming upstream, you get to a place where things are revealed. But I also want you to know this, that up is a place where things are birthed. Something I didn't realize the other day was that one of the reasons that, that, that fish go upstream is so that they can spawn and die. And someone said, well, Pastor, I like the spawn part, but I don't want to talk about the die part. But that, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Well, you're, you're all right. But I want you to listen to this. That, that in this context, we're the ones who are going upstream to give birth to what God has put inside of us. And it is vital that we do this here in this life, that we don't leave this life without having given birth to the things God's put in us to leave here. You know, it's often been said that one of the richest uh, places, one of the places of greatest treasure, one of the places on planet Earth with the most buried treasure is the cemetery. Because that's the place where people have left dreams, left visions. The, you, you, you've, you've got the remains of people who had jobs to do and they never did their job. Had things to give birth to that they never gave birth to. But I tell you, it is the will of God for you to go upstream, to give birth, and to leave here in this world what he has given you to deposit into this world and to do it before you check out, just like David, when Acts 13, 36 this, says this statement about David, that after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, then he fell asleep with his fathers. So good advice. Don't go anywhere until you serve the purpose of God in your generation. Don't go anywhere until you've given birth to everything God's given you to give birth to in this world. I think about Paul. He wasn't checking out of here until he could make the statement that he made over in 2 Timothy 4 when he said, I have finished the course, I've fought the good fight, and I've kept the faith. Hallelujah. So listen to this. This is very important. As you're going upstream. To give birth. As you're on your way. 
you're having to push by all the fish that are going the other direction that are telling you you can't do it. As you're swimming upstream, looking to give birth to what God's put inside of you. You got all those fish going the other way telling you you can't do it. You're not from the right town, not from the right family, didn't go to the right school, and you're not the right color. Someone said the devil is a liar. So what you do, you you just go ahead and ignore those people. You just ignore them. And, 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 And you know what? I mean, bottom line is this. You got something from the Lord. You know you got something from the Lord. You know you got a job to do. You know you got something that you need to leave and deposit here on planet earth. That your life would not be fulfilled and complete unless this thing is done. You go ahead and keep on waddling with your pregnant walk. And you get upstream where you need to go so you can give birth to that thing. Glory to God. And say, pardon me. Just keep on going the way you're going. Telling me I can't. Telling me no way. It can't be you. Look at this belly. You won't tell me I'm not pregnant? Forget about it. As a matter of fact, why y'all just shut up and get me some pickles and ice cream because I'm going to have a baby here. Glory to God. Going upstream to give birth. That's the destination of the person going upstream. They're going up and they're going up with a reason. They're going up with a purpose, with a cause. Hallelujah. And then finally, there's the deliverance of one who swims upstream. As you remember in Daniel chapter 3, there were three Hebrew men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm-hmm-hmm. You know, they have air guitar. Is there an air organ? Oh, I feel an organ right now. I'm so excited about this one. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were instructed by the king. That when the music gets started, when the band starts playing and they play, play that funky music, Babylonian boy, or whatever the song was. And, and when you hear it, everybody bows down. But, but there were three guys in the crowd that didn't bow down. Why? Because they were swimming upstream. Come on, somebody. Made the king so mad. And what was the penalty for not bowing down? The penalty for not bowing down was that they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king made true on his word, said, you guys aren't bowing down. And they said, well, king, whether that's really your intention to do it or not, I don't know. But I can tell you this, we ain't bowing down. We ain't bowing down to any idols, to to this big giant idol you set up. We are just not bowing down. Is there anybody in the house who is willing in this crazy age we're living in, in these last days that we're living in, is there anybody willing to say, I am not going to bow? What's the result? What's the fruit of that? Well, ultimately, those guys were thrown in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thrown into the fiery furnace. I mean, it was so hot that the guys that threw them in got fried. That's how hot it was. But the ultimate thing that happened was the deliverance of Almighty God. When the king said, hey, wait a minute. I threw three guys in there bound. Isn't that right? And they answered, oh, yes, true, O king, true. Yes, there were three, three bound guys we threw in there. All right. 
Well, he said, I, I mean, I, math wasn't my best subject, but I, I'm counting here and I see one, two, three, four. And, and you know, the great part of it is that he said, we threw three guys in bound and now I see four guys loose. It's not just now there's an extra guy, but they're not bound anymore. Now they're loose. And one of them looks like the son of God. You know, I I love watching the the, the VeggieTales version of that story with my daughter. The three guys that didn't bow down before the big chocolate bunny. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, the the best part of that is... is, uh, uh, one of the one of the uh, the, the owner of the, the chocolate factory there, his right hand man says, "Hey, hey, boss, uh, we, we threw uh, uh, three guys in there, but now there's four guys, and one of them's real shiny. I want you to know there's somebody real shiny with you." Come on, somebody. There's somebody real shiny with you. You're not in that thing by yourself. You're not in that fix by yourself. As a matter of fact, the one who is there with you, who is the one, he is the one who is delivering you. He is a delivering God. And when people make a decision to swim upstream, even when it's tough and even when it's not popular, there is a delivering God who will be there right when you need him and pull your fat out of the fire. Come on, somebody. Amen. Ah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we done. (laughs) Hallelujah. Go ahead, bow your eyes. Bow your heads, close your eyes, don't bow your eyes. I've always wondered, you know, uh, there there was one one time uh, that uh, that a minister did that, told everybody to close their heads. Say, don't, don't say that. I'm glad I started with the other one anyway. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you. All right, hallelujah. We're having a lot of fun in church today. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord.